Ahoy, mateys, and welcome to another episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. My name is Captain Eric, and we are continuing our sail through the first season of SpongeBob SquarePants. Uh, and of course, coming to the end of season one, I'm gearing up for season two of the show. And with season two, I'm going to bring a few other segments with me to keep things interesting, keep things fresh, while also keeping our base structure alive. Every episode, we are still watching an episode of SpongeBob, but I'm going to be bringing uh, more elements of my love for Nickelodeon and honestly, whatever you guys are into, into the show. I'm not going to go over all of the new plans yet, but I'm going to premiere one of the new plans today on this week's episode. I don't have a um, permanent name for it yet, but starting with season two, every single week, I'm going to look at uh, the, this week in Nickelodeon. What what has gone on in the past of Nickelodeon during the, the week I'm recording or during the days that we can talk about? The premieres of shows, the the ending of shows, big episodes, big, big moments in Nickelodeon history. Uh, and, and going over a year of that, we have a lot to talk about, so it's very exciting for me. But this week in particular, we had we had two big past releases I wanted to talk about, and why wait a year? Why why should we have to do that? Let's let's start this now. Uh, but twenty two years ago this week, the Rugrats movie was released in theaters, and. For those that don't know, this is a big feat for the Rugrats movie that I've always enjoyed. I've always liked telling people this little piece of trivia because at one point it was massive news. Did you guys know that the Rugrats movie was the very first non-Disney animated movie to make over $100 million at the domestic box office? Wow, that <laughs> that that's actually crazy. Uh, now, so many movies have done that since then, because since the Rugrats movie, we've had other animation companies. Of course, the biggest juggernaut to, to really come up against Disney was DreamWorks for, for decades plus, and then Illumination Entertainment came around the corner with Despicable Me, and we have Sony Pictures and Warner Brothers Animation. We, we have more animation now being made by more companies, but... That that record went on for decades like nobody was coming close to to being on the level of Disney until the Rugrats of all characters. It just blows my mind. So I know that that feat is kind of just been buried in time like it's not anything you really hear people talking about. But if you look it up. I believe the Rugrats or Paramount even put out a billboard kind of congratulating the Rugrats on passing this milestone. Um, it was a big deal at the time, and the Rugrats movie was a massive release. Of course, it uh, introduced us to Baby Dill, the newest character into the Rugrats universe. Um, it, it brought this big grand adventure that, in my own personal opinion, I think is the best of the three big screen adventures. But I know that I'm in the minority on that. I know a lot of people really like the next movie, which is 20 years ago this week, The Rugrats in Paris, the movie was released in theaters. Uh, not as big of a hit in terms of box office. It certainly uh, took a, a nice dive. If you go over to, to Box Office Mojo and, and check out the numbers, uh, the Rugrats movie, the first one, made over $100 million domestically, $40 million were, uh, international for a $140,894,675 worldwide total. But if we go over to Rugrats in Paris, 
they were only to make uh, $76 million at the domestic box office and only $26 million at international box office to bring the worldwide total to $103 million. Certainly, so there's a, there's a lack of almost, you know, 30, almost $40 million there between the first and second one. But still, for, for a movie that was made on a $30 million budget, that's an extra $70 million of profit they made. The Rugrats were still profitable characters. Um, but two years and $40 million. Uh, I, I, not many sequels do as well as the first one, but um, that, that's a bit shocking. And it certainly, the, the trend didn't get better. Uh, the Rugrats Go Wild, I think, did the worst out of the three. And um, I know we're not going to be talking about that anytime soon. But yeah, uh, only made $55 million at the worldwide box office. And it was even made for cheaper, too. It was made for $5 million less than Rugrats in Paris, and uh, unfortunately, man, how did the international box? Yeah, thirty-nine million domestic, fifteen million international. I don't know if that's just people not interested. If it's a Rugrats thing, or if it's a Nickelodeon movies thing, because there was a couple of years there. Um, the Rugrats movie was a massive hit, but it almost seemed like every movie that came after that was less and less. You had Hey Arnold, Wild Thornberries, but then the SpongeBob movie came, and everybody was stoked about that. Um, but I think because of those years kind of underperforming, I think it's it's from that that we've had a lack of Nickelodeon movies starring other cartoon characters, which is a real shame because I think at one point in the mid 2000s, the Fairly Odd Parents could have made good money in the in a, in, a, in the theaters. I know that there was talk about it and there was even work done on a possible theatrical movie. And I think that could have made a good amount of money. Um, Jimmy Neutron. After the TV show, having a second movie, I think would have made sense. And even something like Danny Phantom, I think the ultimate em enemy built that for for theaters, like even pack in more than what you could on the TV show. That could have been amazing. And unfortunately, we were robbed from these really lacking years in Nickelodeon movies. But I'm glad that we have the movies we do. But let's get back to the Rugrats here. Um, the, the Rugrats movie introduced Dill absolutely i can't say enough the great things about that movie i love it because it's it's very low key and it's realistic your your toddlers your babies getting lost in the woods you can understand with the parents what's going on um you're you're along with the adventure with the babies it's a completely new world i mean even, i think they even say it themselves when they first get to the woods they're like it's like the backyard but bigger um and the, the storyline with Angelica and Spike getting along, everybody's on these these paths that then all collide with one another. And I, I've loved that movie ever since it was re it's released. It's it's one of my favorite Nickelodeon movies. It's probably my second favorite right behind the first SpongeBob movie. Uh, and and I watch it any chance I, I can get, you know, when I'm in that Rugrats mood, I might go back to the first movie more than I would the show, which is pretty crazy. But I fell in love with that movie. I played the holy crap out of the PC game, which was just a mixture of mini games. And definitely go look up a long play of this because some of them, I can't believe I sat there for hours playing these games because they just, uh, even by the hardest level, they're kind of mind numbing. Like, okay, I'm sitting there clicking and, uh, but, but good times. Like I, I cherish those moments and those memories. Rugrats in Paris though, Happy 20 years, but um, this is by far the most favorite of the three movies by most fans, but 
I'm not one of those fans. I know I saw this movie in theaters, but I cannot remember any feelings I had other than I knew it was I didn't like it as much as the first one. Whereas in the first one, I re- remember seeing that in theaters with my mom and and from the moment after the the credits rolled and I left being like I I cannot believe it was my first experience of seeing uh, a TV show on the big screen. And man, it just you you can't replace that first time you see it. And the Rugrats in Paris, I just don't have that same mentality. Like I didn't I don't remember walking out of that theater. I know I saw it in theaters, but I have no recollection of my personal feelings. And since then I've I've gone to appreciate the movie more because obviously it plays with the biggest emotional beat of the show, which is with Chucky and um unfortunately the situation with his mom. And that loneliness. And I'm glad they went there. I'm glad it exists. But the I, I'll tell you the one thing that really gets me about Rugrats in Paris. Um, yes, a part of it, and I've mentioned it a few times on the show, is the introduction of Kimmy. Um, let me say first and foremost, my dislike of Kimmy has nothing to do with her as a character. You know, it doesn't come... Uh, from her gender or if she was a different race or anything like that. Unfortunately, it's being the fifth Rugrat. You know, I don't consider Dill. Dill is a Rugrat, but Dill is kind of like in the same park as Spike with me. Like, he's there. He's a part of the show. He can have episodes about him, but he's not really impacting what goes on between the four main characters, you know? And Kimmy just kind of then got bunched, you know, she's she's around the same age as all of the characters who are speaking, so she's just kind of put in that position. Any character, regardless of age or uh, regardless of race, regardless of gender, any character being thrown at you as the fifth Rugrat, I- I'm going to look down upon. Um, and I think Kimmy as a character, I like her. I do like her, and certainly I got to appreciate her more with All Grown Up, but that was just a tough position to be in. So even as a kid, I was not interested in these moments in cartoons where they would shoehorn in a new character. I liked when shows like Rocco or The Simpsons or even SpongeBob, like eventually when they want to make a new character, they're just kind of a new character in the world, not necessarily somebody who's going to say this is a new main character. You know, the Simpsons can can add in a new person who works at a car wash in Springfield and their character that you can then, you know, the main family can interact with. And Rocco certainly fleshed out with Dr. Hutchinson and even Filbert as the series went on and and other side characters. But that's the thing, adding new side characters versus adding new main characters. It's kind of my my argument if you will. And and I would argue that even though Dill is a, a main character, like I said, he's kind of like Spike. He's just, he he's a tool that can be used as a character, but he's not really impacting the main flow of the series. That's why talking with Fairly Odd Parents, it kind of comes down to Chloe as being my reason for, for the downfall of the Fairly Odd Parents. Poof and Sparky were just kind of there, whereas Chloe interrupted the flow with Timmy, Cosmo, and Wanda. Kimmy interrupted the flow of Tommy, Chucky, Phil, and Lil. But, as I said, since then, learn to appreciate the character through All Grown Up, but when this movie first came out, it was like, 
I know you're as a kid. I knew they were trying to shoehorn a new character in and I wasn't about that. But the emotional beats with Chucky in this movie are bar none. The the reason for its, its existence and and honestly, I will say some of the most emotional stuff in, in the entire series. So as much as I don't like this movie as much as the first one, I appreciate this movie to the moon and back. Um, but yeah, I was going to tell you the one part that really about Rugrats in Paris that that I can't get past is the climax of the movie taking place with two mechs kind of fighting in Paris. Um Say what you will about realism or, hey, it's a cartoon. You can kind of do what you want. Um, throughout the show, I y- y- the babies are obviously doing things that you wouldn't really expect a baby to do. But I feel like they kept the babies within these very specific guidelines. Like Tommy, Chucky, Phil, and Lil can do this, but not this. Like they can do A, but not B. And I don't think they crossed that line up until the mech fight. I Maybe even through the entire series up to that point, because everything seemed at least somewhat realistic. Like, okay, you could convince me that this could really happen. They didn't really take too much advantage of the cartoon world. Maybe in some episodes they stretched it a little bit, but it was definitely not enough for me to be like, throw my hands up in the air and go, I'm done at the end of Rugrats in Paris. The, the fact that we don't have mechs on the level of the Reptar mech is already one thing. Then you're going to tell me that uh, four, five toddlers and an infant can run this mech and have a fu- like, all right, hey, you lo- it's cool. Visually, it's great. It's a great big action climax to this movie. But as a Rugrats fan, I'm like, oh, this is come on. This is just a little, little too much. But. To juxt- uh, opposite of that, I love the ending with the with the wedding. I like the buildup of the wedding. I love Chucky coming in screaming no. I love the ending of that movie so much. I love the beginning of that movie so much. I do have a lot of love love for Rugrats in Paris, but um, in, in my opinion, it's a bit of just a lesser Rugrats movie. But I'm glad it exists. Um, and and that celebrating its its twentieth year this year, crazy. Crazy. Eventually, one day, this will be celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Rugrats in Paris movie. And, oh, God, I don't wish to be that old (laughs) at all. And, of course, we can't forget that uh, 16 years ago to the day that I'm recording this, November 19th, is when the SpongeBob SquarePants movie was released in theaters. Uh, This is by far my favorite Nicktoon movie. It is by far uh, my favorite Nickelodeon uh, movies movie. Um, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. I can't talk enough about it. And and I'm going to keep it short only because eventually through this series, we're going to get to the SpongeBob SquarePants movie, and I can certainly talk more about it. But I remember watching the Kids' Choice Awards that year and seeing the first teaser trailer for SpongeBob SquarePants, uh, the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. And it wasn't, it may have been the teaser trailer that was in theaters with the, the Das Boot reference with all of the, uh, 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 crewmen inside the submarine and SpongeBob is basically in the bathtub with the submarine and, and it, you know, dive and, and all of a sudden all the water just crushes into the submarine. Um, it could have been that one, but I think it was also just a kind of more generic, uh, uh, movie trailer just to show you that the movie was coming. Um, 
but I was so excited for that movie that, um, and, and my mother can verify this. There was a whiteboard on the fridge that we didn't really use that often, but I found a means to put a part of the whiteboard that said it was a countdown of the amount of days until the SpongeBob movie. And I kept it up pretty much up until maybe September, October time when it kind of came clear, like, all right, you're only going to have to wait a month or two. And then I stopped the countdown. Um, but I kept that going all summer. I like anytime I would uh, see it, I would update it to the current tally. So I probably was, I, I know for the first like month I was probably really dedicated to it, like daily times. Um, and then I skipped over one day and then that's all it takes. You skip over one day and then it could become so much easier to skip over it. But yeah, I had this countdown of, of the amount of days. Um, what's, what's crazy too is, um, and middle school at the time, I had stayed back in middle school, and uh, some people probably would be embarrassed by something like that. It, it, to me, it was a godsend. Uh, the The group I was with in my original uh, seventh grade just did not accept me that well. It's where I got probably bullied the most in my entire school career. Uh, and then the group after I stayed back in seventh grade... I was in just a more mellowed out group that really accepted me for who I am, what I enjoyed. And uh, I made so many friends in different cliques that like that class, I, I generally love anybody from my graduating class, even if we weren't friends, even if we were barely acquaint acquaintances, like I cherish the, the class I graduated with. Um, but all the way back in seventh grade. So once you stay back you're given kind of this alternate option where you take this class that is essentially a study hall. So you can uh, go through all of your classes, but then have a chance to be able to, to do homework and have teachers that are there to help you. Um, and I, I absolutely love that. But once in a while, because you're part of this group, you can do group activities like you can go out and, and big things to, to vote on. And to reach for, like, if everybody gets all of their tests done, all of their homework, like, it's almost like the good noodle board. You know, you get your stars. And I had suggested months earlier, uh, in the beginning of September, like, one of the biggest things we should do a movie trip to go see the SpongeBob movie. And it was not only approved, but it was good to go. And on the day that that movie was released, Friday, November 19th, I don't know what happened, but I messed up. In school, something happened where I messed up and I was not allowed to go to see the movie. So it was like within an hour time, I did something that was completely out of character or missed a, an assignment or something that blocked me from going to see that movie like during school time. And it frustrated me so much because I had worked so hard to help set that trip up and then I couldn't even go and enjoy it. Um even though later on I know like I was going to see my dad later that night and that he would he would then be able to bring me. But um, I, I love that movie. I have seen it uh, in the theaters. I've seen it at a drive through a drive in uh, a drive through. Yeah, uh, I, I will. It's literally in my top three favorite movies of all time. And it goes beyond SpongeBob, I think. On its own, without watching the TV series, I think if I could show one piece of SpongeBob media to someone who didn't understand Spongebob or, or someone I was introducing it to, I would show them the movie. Everything from the story to the structure to the characters, um, almost everybody gets to shine. And honestly, the one negative is is that Sandy kind of gets the boot of that movie. But uh, I, I think her help in the subsequent films 
makes up for that. And that movie was such a big hit. We eventually got the SpongeBob movie, Sponge Out of Water, and then the SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run, which hopefully gets a little run in theaters at some point in the United States because it feels like we got this. We're getting the shaft. Canada gets the movie in theaters, and then everyone else in the world gets the movie on Netflix, and everyone in America still has to wait like another two, three months until we get this movie. But uh, but anyway, I, I I'm I'm waiting. I know that I could totally download a VPN and and check it out on Netflix. But I'm being patient and uh, and I'm going to give Paramount Plus my money at least for the first month. If they can put like every Nickelodeon show on there, they'll have my money for a lifetime. That'll be great because uh, I'm tired of having all these different apps uh, with different shows. There's like some on Hulu and then some on uh, Verve and then there's some on on uh, CBS All Access. And it's just it's a mess. But uh, but anyway, yeah, so 16 years ago today, the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. So the episode that we have today is Neptune's Spatula, or as it was originally called, the Spatula in the Stove, which was from a uh, from an old Nickelodeon website where they had all the episodes listed. They had uh, that as the name here listed instead of Neptune's Spatula. And there's a few other if you find that on the Web Archive, I've mentioned it in the show before. There's a few other uh, episodes that have like weird alternate titles. Um, but this is a big episode because it's the first time that we get introduced to King Neptune, but it's weird as, as many of you know, there there's actually two King Neptunes in the series. There's the TV accurate King Neptune. And then there's King Neptune from the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. And as, as far as the only information that's really come out, um, it's that Paramount, I think it was that Paramount wanted its own, or I think they said characters that appeared in the movie would not be able to be used in the show for some legal reasons. I think it was that where they were creating Mindy, and because Mindy was created for the movie, they would not fully own Mindy, which then, you know, then would confuse things later on, so I think they just created a different Neptune for the movie. Um, but as far as the show is concerned, I, there's just, they've already mentioned there have been several King Neptunes. So they've already kind of established that there's multiple King Neptunes. And, uh, the way I see it, this is just one King Neptune we have to, we have to deal with in this world. There's not just one, there's, there's a few others because this King Neptune has appeared a few other times in the show. And also Mindy, who appeared in uh, SpongeBob's Big Birthday Blowout, I believe right at the end, if you look in the crowd shot, you can see Mindy there. Uh, I think there was just like this weird uh, firewall between Paramount and Nickelodeon until I think 2014, 2015 time of the characters created in that movie. So we have a different King Neptune than the one from the movie, but certainly a formidable King Neptune nonetheless. Uh, a King Neptune voiced by John O'Hurley, who is uh, most known as his role as Jay Peterman from uh, the show Seinfeld, uh, a very fan favorite character, side character from that show. Um, but he's got a very distinct voice, and I think he fits wonderfully in the role as King Neptune. He is certainly condescending to SpongeBob and uh, is, is a great uh, villain of, of this episode, really kind of turning down SpongeBob's ability as a fry cook. But, but I think he comes around in the absolute best way possible. And I think the message here, um, is that the, the flashiest people at a, at a hobby doesn't automatically make them the best, um, for certainly something like food. I mean, f the taste of food is certainly as subjective as art, but I'd like to agree that with everybody in that arena, 
collectively spitting out Neptune's burger really says something about that. He, even though he was able to conjure all of these burgers and create them without really uh, any of his physical strength was impressive, but everybody <laughs> hated the taste of it. So uh, must have not been that good. And of course, his tasting of SpongeBob's burger uh, really changed his opinion on uh, on his abilities. But anyway, right before we get into the show, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to watch Neptune's spatula. Magic Conj, will I ever get to meet Tom Kenny? Maybe someday. Oh, so you're saying there's a chance. Okay, okay. Should I tell fans of the show how they can support us? Yes. Goofy Goobers, supporting the show is shockingly easier than catching a blue jellyfish. Right from our Anchor page, anchor.fm slash spongepod, you can find links to all of our social media and a support button if you happen to have a few extra clams. Also follow us on twitch.tv slash spongebobpodcast, where it's not only the official home to our sister show, Video Bob Game Pants, it's also where I stream live drawings of various Nickelodeon characters and host the opportunity for commissions and giveaways. Lastly, the official merchandise store is now open at redbubble.com slash people slash spongepod, where various designs will be uploaded in Inspired by our show, including our official logo, which is now available on a multitude of products like t-shirts, stickers, duvet covers, and even a shower curtain. This is a podcast by a fan for fans and will always be fan-driven. Any way you see fit on supporting our show is much appreciated. Thank you and enjoy. 2,000 years later. And we're back, and the episode we are watching is Neptune's Spatula. Uh, it is the second part of the 19th episode of SpongeBob SquarePants, and it premiered on April 1st, 2000. Um, so if you have the episode uh, ready and queued up, you can watch along with me. We're going to be starting at the beginning of the title card in three, two, one, boom. I, one thing I got to say, I really love this title card and the music because it, it, it always to me, especially when the first season was fresh on television, it seemed like a big episode. You know, we finally get a new location. We see the Fry Cook Museum, which uh, maybe has appeared in a future episode, but I don't think it ever has. Um, tough guy of Greece. There's a lot of visual gags uh, in the background of this episode. If you ever get a chance to pause it and actually look at the stuff, they clearly put in a lot of work. Um, here's one thing about Larry there. As you saw him walking up the stairs, he had these three like white lines on his back. As far as anyone can tell, that's the only time those lines ever appeared on the back of Larry, uh, Larry the Lobster. Uh, but here we have uh, the golden spatula that is... Um, lodged in the bucket of grease, which of course is a play on the sword and the stone. Uh, and of course the story of, of whoever is able to lift the sword out of the anvil, or at least in the Disney version, um, it, they'll become king, you know, they'll become king. And of course the story of King Arthur being, being able to lift the sword up and, and all that story. But here we have SpongeBob lifting out the golden spatula very easily out of the grease, which then summons King Neptune, who is, of course, coming from Atlantis, which we see there. And and that's another thing. I mean, I have always kind of kept both King Neptune's canon in my head because this one seemingly opens up a portal to a completely different Atlantis than the one that we've even seen later on in the show. So I've always seen him as just being somebody from a different world, uh, not necessarily being the same uh, King Neptune that was used in the movie. So I I've always enjoyed that theory. Uh, not for everybody, though. But, uh, you know, 
hey, I, I can go along with it, and it fits with that. But yeah, he comes in and completely trashes SpongeBob, which is uh, super unfair. Like, he still lifted the golden spatula out of the grease. You should, um, you should still honor that. Uh, and of course, on its plaque, it reads, many have tried to pull this spatula out of this ancient Greece, but all have failed. Only a fry cook who's worthy of King Neptune himself can wield the golden spatula. And he just keeps laughing at him. He goes up to the hot dog cart guy and is like, you have to be a fry cook worthy enough. You look like you're selling food and... Then he goes up to Larry and, and of course, compliments him on his physique. And then <laughs> I always love that line: "Make poses with me." Um, this is this is what this is what like gym muscle guys do with each other when they bump into one one another. Like, you look pretty good. Make poses with me. I that definitely happens. Come on, I I don't believe otherwise. Um, but uh, the the fact that he even goes to Patrick. Um, thinking that because his weight would automatically know how to cook is cr- just silly. Uh, he, he's so avoiding the the idea that a sponge could could get that. Um, and I love that Patrick already has the developed picture out of SpongeBob lifting it up, and even that still doesn't doesn't satisfy Neptune's needs. Uh, and I don't know why he's being such a jerk about this. I mean, obviously, in the end, he still kind of comes to his senses after he actually tastes SpongeBob's food, which is legitimately the only thing that should really determine whether or not somebody is a good cook or a good chef is if their food is actually good. You know, it's one thing to tell people that you're really good. You ever had anybody in your life mention that they were a good cook and then you tasted their food and it was just awful? Yeah, I, <laughs> a few of you, I hope, are probably like, yeah, I know that person. It's my mom or something. Unfortunately, I mean, I can't say that about my mother. My mother cooks very well. Um, but I, I, I like that he, of course, the running gag of this episode is that he's uh, King Neptune is constantly zapping Patrick with electricity. Uh, it, it's a nice gag. You know, it's it's physical humor, really, for the kids, kids. Kigs, it's a new name for him. Uh, it, it's a physical gag for kids, but certainly just like super mean, especially because at some point here, Patrick's just voicing his opinion and just constantly getting zapped and charred to a crisp. Um, <laughs> here we only have two challenges, and SpongeBob's like, "No, stop! You're gonna get zapped again." Three challenges. <laughs> he brings it down to one. Uh, apparently King Neptune, uh, eventually we just get down to one challenge, which is a face-off in the Poseidon Dome of the ultimate cook-off. And I love the realistic hand that comes down that holds SpongeBob. Uh, it's just one of those visual gags they used back then that, that still, like, that could, that's still making me laugh right now. And the fact that eventually (laughs) he puts Patrick back together... But I think adds his face to his bottom, to his butt, which is is funny and doesn't get reversed by the end. And here we have uh, our third live action appearance of Mr. Tom Kenny, but in the shower. I I always love that Tom seems to be the one totally fine with um, doing those little live action segments. Uh, he he is the heart and soul of this 
of this show, uh, bar none. I mean, certainly the heart and soul was built by Steven Hillenberg, but man, you don't get SpongeBob's voice and character, and for the amount of work he puts into this show, Tom Kenny definitely uh, is up there. But they fight in the Poseidon Dome, uh, a nice little cook-off, and of course, if anybody has ever made a burger, you, you think about Whoever's a SpongeBob fan, if you've made a burger, you have definitely thought about uh, some of the techniques <laughs> SpongeBob did, especially with the pickles. I mean, I've tried that, and I've just countless other people have tried, um, you know, full, you know, laying their pickles to bed with a nice sheet of cheese and the little eyes with with ketchup, and and you read them a little bedtime story. Um, I like this idea that it's just such a good gag of Mr. Krabs coming out of nowhere being like, I believe in you, and then <laughs> goes and bets a ton of money on Neptune. Uh, and of course, this uh, arena reappeared as the uh, for the boss battle in Battle for Bikini Bottom, which was all, like that part was always cool to me. I liked that they reused this arena uh, from, from uh, this episode. And of course... King Neptune can't even put on his own apron. He has to have servants do it. And through this entire sequence, you see he is creating grain out of the ground and and zapping it to make buns and all of these fruits and vegetables coming out of nowhere and, and cutting them all. And it's an impressive showing. He's having swordfish cut all of the, all of the ingredients. I don't know if it's conjuring food like if that is any good i mean we you know we have these burgers here we have all the grain came out of the ground of the of the boxing ring if you will or the wrestling ring was it created by magic like was it conjured out of nowhere and that's where the the bad taste comes from with all of these people uh with all the fish like why they dislike it and here we have our nice little pickles with faces getting tucked in Nice little kit. I've never kissed the burger, though. I mean, if it, if it was my own, I would kiss it. But if I was making it for someone else, I definitely wouldn't do that. And King Neptune officially gets to a thousand patties over SpongeBob's one. And it's one of those things. It's a saying you'll hear over time that quality is better than quantity. And I I think in a lot of cases, that's true. I don't want to sit here and say that that's just fact. Because hey, sometimes the sometimes the quantity that you're getting is quality, um, but it kind of makes me think of YouTubers in a way. Um, I'm sure anybody listening to this who has a YouTube subscription and and or has a YouTube account and subscribes to to uh, certain channels. I mean, there's some channels that release videos on a daily basis, but there's also some some YouTubers out there that release a video every like four or five months, kind of like JonTron. But anytime he releases a video, it's quality. So, yeah, he's not releasing things on a weekly or monthly basis. But anytime he releases a video, you know it's going to be good. That's kind of the, the direction that the episode goes on here. Which I think the one lesson that I really get from this episode, if anything, other than quality is better than quantity. But magic and food does not mix well. Like, don't use magic to create food, which I think is something we can all get behind. I do love the gag of of King Neptune wanting to taste the burger twice. 
and spitting it out to then eat it again. How many times, I mean, you want to talk about relatability. I think anybody listening to this can think of a few times they've had something that tasted so good they wish they could have another one. But was either just too, you know, I, I do that sometimes if I ever uh, feel like splurging a little bit and I'll go and eat at uh, Five Guys or or Chick-fil-A, you know, one of the fancier fast food restaurants. And the food is good, but it's just so expensive. But uh, I wasn't even thinking about it. What's crazy is I was not even thinking about those, but those were, uh, in, in speaking about fancy foods you might not be able to have too often, those were the things that came to mind. But yeah, I can think about a few times where I've had like a, a milkshake or a burger that was just so good uh, and it really changed your opinion on a place. Like maybe you didn't think it was that good. Uh, there was nothing enticing you to the restaurant and then you eventually tried it and then you had their amazing food. Um, but the, the idea that King Neptune uh, wants to take SpongeBob to Atlantis, like you're, you're going to live in Atlantis, you're going to be a god. Uh, look at him change SpongeBob into a into a god, which... I don't know what his issue was uh, about the transformation. He he said there might be a problem, but SpongeBob just got pecs. What's what's the problem, guy? What were you expecting? Um, and I, I the fact that Patrick's face was not ever reverted by the end is still I love that. Um, and and SpongeBob training King Neptune. Hopefully, King Neptune was able to eventually cook on his own so that he wouldn't need his own fry cook. But the the fact that by the end, SpongeBob is ordering him around is is one of my favorite things about this episode. Uh, and that is Neptune spatula. Um, it, it's definitely the most out there in terms of concepts of any episodes we've seen thus far. Uh, not I wouldn't say the most out there, probably SB129, probably the most out there. But this, you know, was dealing with magic, magical creatures, creatures um, who who have the abilities to transform and and we've never dealt with those kind of characters yet. So this is the first time we're really dealing with that. And I think it's a good episode. It's a good introduction to King Neptune. He's not really used in the show that often. Um, and I, I like that. I like that he's kind of saved for these other big moments. And, and of course, if I had to pick between two Neptunes, uh, John O'Hurley or Jeffrey Tambor, I, I think... I prefer Jeffrey Tambor a little bit. That King Neptune was actually a king, seemed to kind of have purpose, ruling over the sea. This King Neptune is just looking for, he's coming from his alternate dimension Atlantis and looking for a fry cook. Uh, and, and then, of course, he, he appears in future episodes, of course, the one with his son, um, which doesn't really do him as much justice as this episode does as a character. Um, but But this episode... I like nonetheless. It's not one of my top favorites of season one, uh, but it's one that I really enjoy. And like I said, there, there was always something special about it uh, when it was originally on. You you'd have these very like handful of small episodes that felt like bigger deals. It wasn't just SpongeBob and Patrick blowing bubbles in the front yard or doing karate with Sandy or jellyfishing. Atlantis, King Neptune, the Poseidome, like all this big, extraordinary stuff for one episode always felt like a big deal. Uh, but that was Neptune's spatula. And this is I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. Thank you for all the listeners out there. Please, if there's anything that you can do that'll help the show out, get the word out, make sure other people know that this show exists. 
It is all appreciated. Follow us on social media. Follow us on YouTube. More video-only content is coming soon. Uh, it's just being worked on. It's it's brewing. It's, it's being... F- made just like those patties were except for it's not done like magic i take my time with stuff to make sure it's quality i am tucking in the pickles of my video projects but definitely subscribe to us on there and i hope you guys are staying safe and we'll see you here next week magic conj will i ever get to meet tom kenny Maybe someday. Oh, so you're saying there's a chance. Okay, okay. Should I tell fans of the show how they can support us? Yes. Goofy Goobers, supporting the show is shockingly easier than catching a blue jellyfish. Right from our Anchor page, anchor.fm slash spongepod, you can find links to all of our social media and a support button if you happen to have a few extra clams. Also follow us on twitch.tv slash spongebobpodcast, where it's not only the official home to our sister show, Video Bob Game Pants, it's also where I stream live drawings of various Nickelodeon characters and host the opportunity for commissions and giveaways. Lastly, the official merchandise store is now open at redbubble.com slash people slash spongepod, where various designs will be uploaded in Inspired by our show, including our official logo, which is now available on a multitude of products like t-shirts, stickers, duvet covers, and even a shower curtain. This is a podcast by a fan for fans and will always be fan-driven. Any way you see fit on supporting our show is much appreciated. Thank you and enjoy.